John chapter 14. Um, I love giving stories about my childhood. And so the year was 2006. It was an interesting year for me because that was the year I graduated from high school, 2006. It seems like so long ago. Some of you are like, oh, brother. But it does. It honestly, it feels like so long ago that was like, I don't know, 13 years ago or something like that. Um, but I was downtown Washington, D.C., and there they were, the coolest sunglasses I had ever seen. All of my friends had really cool sunglasses, and I did not like wearing sunglasses because I could never find a pair that I liked, that I thought fit my face well. I have a very weird face, and so I had to figure out a way to put them on, and I found them. These sunglasses were what were called Oakleys. Anybody know what Oakleys are? All right, good. I'm talking to a good crowd here then. I knew enough as a 17-year-old that Oakleys were an expensive pair of sunglasses, very expensive. Yet here on the sidewalk in Washington, D.C., on a plastic table with a handwritten sign said sunglasses, $5. And they were all Oakleys. And as I'm reaching back to my back pocket to pull out my wallet to give this man $5 for these Oakleys, I was so excited. One of my buddies walks by and says, you don't want those. Those are Folkleys. And I said, Folkleys? He said, yeah, they're fake Oakleys. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I didn't pull my wallet out and I walked away because I didn't want fake Oakleys. I wanted the real thing. I wanted the real Oakleys. I wanted them for $5, and you know that you're not going to pay $5 for really good sunglasses. I didn't want the fake thing. I wanted the real thing. One of the things that bugs me, though, about Satan is how he tries to imitate God. He tries to deceive us with an alternative to God's perfect way. Here are some examples. He presents us with lust as a substitute for God's love. He says, here, I want to show you something that you will enjoy looking at and that you can lust after for a substitute of God's perfect love. Satan will present us with happiness as a substitute for God's joy. We might enjoy being happy, but often we miss out on God's true joy because we want to be happy. Satan will present us with amusement as a substitute for a relationship with God. You realize that sometimes when we are amused with things, we talk about amusement parks and different things like that. And I'm not trying to say those are bad, but what I am trying to say is often we replace those things with, we replace those, our relationship with God with those things to amuse ourselves. Satan is always trying to give us something that is close to what God wants for our lives, but not quite all the way there. He wants us to fall short. He wants us to not receive what God had intended. To put it a different way, he wants to give us a cheap substitute. A cheap substitute. Peace is no exception. As Pastor Holland already said, I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled pseudo-peace. Fake peace. It's fake. It's not complete. It's not a all that God has wanted it to be, and Satan presents it to us. John chapter 14 and verse 25. John 14 and verse 25, the Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, 
whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Watch now. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now we've used this verse before in this series. But I want to draw your attention to it again because it amplifies the fact that there are two different types of peace. There's a type of peace that Jesus giveth, and it's based upon the Holy Spirit of God. And there's a type of peace that the world giveth. There's all of these different things, and Jesus is describing that type of peace. The peace that the world gives is a cheap substitute for the peace that God gives. And Jesus is drawing our attention to that. So what does fake peace look like? You know, if you look at money, you're supposed to know what fake money, counterfeit money looks like, right? How do you know what counterfeit money looks like? The best way to tell is to know what real money looks like. And so the best way to tell what's going on that's, that's false in your life, if it's false peace, the best way to tell is to know what real peace looks like. But what if you say, you know what, I've never experienced real peace. Man, we don't, we don't use, I don't use cash anymore. We talked a little bit about that last week. And so I probably would have no idea the difference between a real $50 bill and a counterfeit. Because I, I don't use it, so I need to know. There's some, there some things that I need to look for. So I want to show you this morning three different characteristics of false peace. And I want to show you them from three different stories in the Bible. So the first thing that I want you to see, number one, is physical prosperity. One of the signs of pseudo-peace or false peace is physical prosperity. Go to Genesis chapter 13 with me. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. The story kind of goes, and just to give you a little bit of context around it, the story goes like this. Lot and his uncle Abram are out in the fields, and they are actually having a little bit of contention. Their herds are intermingling, and their shepherds and their, the keepers of the flocks are all getting upset, and they're actually fighting with one another, and there's all this stress and anxiety going on. And Abram says to Lot, look, we need to separate. We're getting too big for each other. Let's separate. You go one way, and whatever way you go, I'll go the opposite. And so we pick up the story here in verse 10, Genesis chapter 13, in verse 10. The Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest Unto Zoar. So you need to understand it was well watered. It was beautiful. It was like the Garden of Eden. Hello. That's pretty interesting. The Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go into Zoar. This is a beautiful, well watered place. It is something that if you have flocks and herds, you want to go there. You want the best for your flocks and herds. And so Lot sees that, verse 11. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Look at verse 13, though. 
But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now this is very important to understand. Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked before the Lord and sinners exceedingly. They were wicked, vile people. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 19. Just a few pages over, Genesis chapter 19. Verse 1. Perhaps you know the part, this part of the story. Genesis 19.1, the Bible says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. And ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto them, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters, I can't even believe this verse, which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore they came under the shadow of my roof and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we, will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon that man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. In verse 10, the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And it just continues. We all understand that Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked, vile city, and we see the sin of sodomy here. We see what it is that they were doing. They wanted these men and they, they wanted to know them, the Bible says, and we all understand what that means. The fact of the matter is this was a wicked and vile city. They were ungodly. They had all that they needed to do what they wanted, and this is where Lot wanted to be. He wanted to be a part of what was going on in that city. He saw prosperity for he and his family and his flocks. But how did Sodom and Gomorrah get this way? How did Sodom and Gomorrah get to a place where they were this wicked? Go to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. If I was to ask any of you, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm pretty sure I know what you would all say. But there's an interesting thing here in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 16. Look at verse 49. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. The Bible says this. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here we go. The Bible's going to give us exactly what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah were. Here it is. Pride. Fullness of bread 
And abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Verse 50, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, how many of you would have said that? Anybody? We all would have said something much different. But the iniquity of Sodom was simply this. They had everything. Look again, verse 49. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to do anything. All they had was everything they could ever want or need. They had everything at their exposure. They could do whatever they want. They had everything they needed. They had all the food they needed. They had all the time in the world. And guess what? They were full of pride about it. They knew it. We have everything we could ever want. Even verse 50 says that they were haughty. They thought they were something special about this because they had everything they could possibly ever want or need. The story doesn't end there. Let's continue Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In verse 26. Luke 17 and verse 26. I'm just making you turn your Bibles just to keep you awake this morning. You got your mask on. It's a little sleepy. Luke chapter 17. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Watch now. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Anybody see anything wrong, wicked, vile with that? I don't. Verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Again, nothing in here that says, oh my goodness, these people are wicked, vile, sinners. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Again, there does not appear to be anything wicked, vile, shameful in these things. It just appears that they were a prosperous city. That they were a prosperous people. You might ask, how is that wrong? Is prosperity wrong? No. The answer to that question is no. Prosperity is not wrong. But here's where they went off track. Sodom and Gomorrah did not need the peace of God because they did not need anything. They had fullness of bread. They were abundant in everything that they could ever want or need. They didn't need the peace of God. They had everything, and so they weren't looking to God. Their lives were going just fine. They had everything they could have ever hoped for. They were not currently in any wars. They were not currently uh, uh, outside of, of you know, looking to expand their horizons even. Listen, they were in a well-watered plain almost as if it was the Garden of Eden. They had everything. They were just partying and enjoying life. No cares in the world. So if you will, if you look at peace, they had physical peace, didn't they? There was no wars. They were enjoying each other's company. They were having a good time. And if you, from the outside, as Lot did, looked at that, you would go, man, they have 
peace. They've got everything. Though they may have had physical prosperity, they did not have the peace of God. If you know the story of the Bible at all, you know that Sodom and Gomorrah, as soon as Lot left, was destroyed. No more peace. Their prosperity actually took them away from God. They were so enthralled with what they had physically that they forgot about God. I want you to write something down. We often confuse physical prosperity with spiritual peace. We often confuse physical prosperity with spiritual peace. Let me just illustrate. You understand that Lot had everything physically, right? You understand that as he went into Sodom and Gomorrah, he had well-watered plains. He was sitting at the seat of the gate, and he was a prominent man in the city. Now, he had everything he could ever want, ask, or need. And guess what? Everything was taken away from him. All, even his wife, all he had left was his two daughters. That's it. Now, I want you to look at this conversely. Remember his uncle Abram, Abraham? Abram went into a desert place. I mean, there were rocks and there was all kinds of, and you look at it and you just go, ew, gross, who would ever want to put something up here? Who would ever want to make camp here? Yet Abram had the peace of God. He didn't have physical prosperity. He had the peace of God. And as you see, you can read the story of Abraham. You see God blessing him over and over and over. He didn't take anything from anyone else. He just lived based on God. And guess what he had? He had the peace of God. He had the peace of God. You might be going through something in your life right now, and you might be thinking everything is okay. Man, I have everything I could ever want. I have enough money, I have my job, I have everything going, my house is wonderful, my children are wonderful. You have everything you could ever want. I'm not trying to say you're sinful. All I'm trying to say is be careful. Don't allow physical prosperity to replace peace from God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, the Bible says this, and it shall be, and the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, watch now, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He's saying to the children of Israel, listen, I'm going to bring you into land that is flowing with milk and honey. Everything is wonderful. You have houses that you didn't have to build. They're filled with goods that you didn't put in there. You have vineyards and olive yards and all kinds of different things that you have that I am going to give you. But when you have prosperity, make sure you don't forget the Lord your God. Listen, you look around North America today. Listen, we are a prosperous nation. We have everything we could ever want, ask, or ever need at our disposal. It's right there. Some of us, yeah, we might have to work a little harder just to get it, but that's it. 
God has given us such prosperity. Listen, our poor people are rich in other places. We've heard that said often. Beware. Satan wants to lull you to sleep. He wants to give you prosperity and think, ah, my finances are all good. My bank account, you should see that. It's spectacular. I have no debt. I have nothing. All I have is money in there. And we feel like we're godly because of our prosperity. Hey, man, my family's wonderful. I have a great house. I have a great wife. I have wonderful things. Listen, that does not equal peace. That does not equal peace. Satan wants to replace the peace of God with physical prosperity. But number two, he wants to replace the peace of God with a sense of security. With a sense of security. Go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Most uh, boys, this is their favorite story. It's the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes-Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. We've tried to figure this out about nine feet, nine inches. is what we best can figure out. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. It's heavy. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, Philistine, excuse me, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Most of us sitting here today know the story of David and Goliath. We understand that he was an incredible man. He was literally a giant. He was everything an army could ever want. We talk about LeBron James being a superstar for the Lakers. This was the LeBron James of the Philistines. I mean, he was the superstar. He could do anything he wanted. I mean, no man could match to him. He was absolutely incredible. Most of us will know the story. David shows up on the scene and basically says, someone better do something about this. He decides if no one else is going to do something, I will. King Saul calls him in. 
gives David his own armor and says, here you go, go fight the battle. David says, I cannot use this because I have not proved it, and he puts it off of him. You see, the only thing David had proved up until this point was the strength of his God. You see, previous to this, he had asked God to strengthen him and give him strength to fight a lion and a bear. And God had come through and helped him. And so David goes to the brook, picks up five smooth stones. But I want you to notice what he says to Goliath. Turn over to verse 45. The Bible says this. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Look what he says. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You see, there are a whole lot of people who are trusting something else for their security. See, Goliath was trusting in his stature, in his own strength, in his spear, in his sword, in his shield. There, you, I don't know, there's, again, all kinds of different things you might be trusting in your bank account. Maybe you're trusting in your retirement savings plan. Maybe you're trusting in your job. Maybe you're trusting in your government. There's all kinds of different things that we can trust in. But that's a false sense of security. You see, David was pretty clear. David was pretty clear. He had five smooth stones and a sling. But that's not what he said, is it? He didn't say, I'm trusting, I'm coming to you in my five smooth stones and a sling. No, he had practiced and he had practiced, he had practiced. He was a wonderful marksman with those things. Yet he says, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. It's pretty interesting to me that David takes that stone and that sling and just lets her rip. Hits that giant square in the forehead and kills him. Knocks him unconscious, and David runs over and lobs his head off. Listen, what's interesting to me is that the Philistine army put all of their faith and trust in one man. Because as soon as he falls, guess what they do? They take off running, like scared little girls. They are gone because they had put their faith in security in one man, yet David said, I will put my faith in God. Listen, Satan will give you some sort of false sense of security. When in reality, all we ought to be doing is putting our faith and trust in him. Like Satan wants you to put your faith in something else. Satan wants, you to, Satan wants you to find security in things on earth, but it's just a cheap substitute for the peace of God. Psalm chapter twenty. In verse 7, the Bible says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David wrote that. See, Satan wants to replace the peace of God with a false sense of security. But number three, he wants to replace the peace of God with an appetite for apathy. An appetite for apathy. Let's go all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. 
Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Watch this now. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Apathy. Apathy literally means no passion. No passion. Basically, I have need of nothing. And you can see how all of these three things line up. Man, if you have prosperity, you have a false sense of security, which brings you to apathy. You can see how you can have this appetite for apathy. Hey, I have need of nothing. I'm comfortable. I'm perfectly content with where I'm at. And this apathy is another offering of Satan. When we are apathetic, we think we are okay. We have no passion to do anything better. We have no passion in the relationship with God. We don't even understand why some people have a passion for a relationship with God. We look at them like they're crazy. Man, that guy's nuts. I mean, he wants to serve God. He wants to have a relationship with God. He doesn't care whether he makes a lot of money. He's just, he's passionate. I'm not that way. I'm apathetic. Sometimes we think, what's the big deal? We already have everything we need. Why would we even pursue it? But again, what we don't realize is what God says to us here in verse 17. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We think we don't need anything, but in reality, we need everything. You see, the first two examples were from heathen nations. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Philistines. Not godly in any way, shape, or form. Yet if you read verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Listen, this is far more pointed than ever. God looks at the church and says, you, you think you have everything. You are apathetic. You are the one who needs to change. Please don't miss this. Satan will do anything to give us the appearance of peace if it means that we will take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Satan will do anything to give us the appearance of peace if it means that we will take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. He'll put up a mirage and say, hey, come this way. Come off the road. Come off the way of Jesus Christ and look this way. What I have over here is far better, but it's only a mirage. Satan wants nothing more than to lull you to sleep and then destroy you. 
He is like a roaring lion that walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I want to take you to one last passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, watch now, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail Upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should, not over, should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. Folks, it's time. Listen, I don't know where you sit. I don't know where you stand. I don't know where you are in your life. But if you're finding peace in your physical prosperity, or if you're finding peace in the sense of security, or if you're finding peace and you have an appetite for apathy, then can I challenge you? It's high time that we awake out of sleep. Because today we are nearer to the return of Jesus Christ than ever before. And we're going to need his peace. Not the world's peace. But God's peace. Not the false, the pseudo peace that Satan wants to give us. Not a cheap substitute. But the real thing. You say, Pastor Jones, how? How? Revelation chapter 3, which is where we just were, but look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Can you think of a more peaceful, tranquil idea? And to sit around the supper table, dwelling with Almighty God. Listen, if we want to get out of this, I think I have everything, then we need to hear God knocking, let me in. We need to hear God saying, let me in. I want to come in. I want to spend time with you. I want to give you my peace. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You don't have to be afraid. Because it's not the peace which the world giveth. It's the peace that I give. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity. Studying your word and learning from it. Father, we could spend so much more time here because Satan is constantly trying to replicate and duplicate and give us a cheap substitute of what you want. But Father, if there's one of these areas in our lives that we're trusting in, Father, I pray that today we would push that aside and that we would look to you again. That we would open the door to you and allow your peace 
to flood over us. And that we would know you every single hour, every single minute of every single day. And that we would always have your peace. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as personal Savior, they've never experienced that peace, then today I pray they would come to you. They would open the door and say, come in. And they would have a relationship with you. For those that have maybe looked aside and gone a different way and been distracted, then, Father, I pray today that they would refocus on you. I pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Again, we'd like to give people time to make a decision. Maybe some of you have been deceived by physical prosperity and you've forgotten about God. Maybe some of you have a false sense of security and you've not found your peace in God. And I think at some point all of us have an appetite for apathy. And we think we have no need of God. I think it's time for us to let God in and sup with him. And keep him as the center of our peace. Let's go ahead and take some time right now to write something down. Make some sort of decision. Our altar's open if you see the need. But at least take some time and write down a decision that you've made this morning. Let's do that right now.